Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast, our October edition. I'm Kev and I've got two regular members of the gang alongside me, James and Tony. Chaps, it's been a month or so, how are you keeping? Doing all right, Kev, doing all right. Sound, Kev, I'm all right, mate. Good stuff. Okay, before we get stuck into uh, football action on the pitch and things like that, um, we've had the closure of the transfer window, haven't we, since we last got together. Uh, and actually, I think it's fair to say that the town done some pretty good business in that last week. Um, we'll start with the players that came in. And um, James, I know you've covered the stories of them all coming in, so I'll come to you first. The first one that came in in that week, Joe Morell from Bristol City. We'll discuss what we've seen of him when we um, cover the matches. But we said all along, didn't we, that we wanted a sort of secondary defensive midfielder stroke ball player in the centre of the park. And he, he appears to be that. He does. Uh, and he looks very good at what I've seen so far. I'm very impressed. Uh, it's just, you can, it's the sort of player you can instantly tell um, is a step up, you know, just the way he receives the ball in his first touch before anything else. But then considering his, First appearance, he he whipped in a couple of wonderful through balls, and then on his second appearance with his first touch, he almost scores. Uh, well, yeah, he came as close as anyone else did against Millwall, that's for sure. But um, yeah, he looks he, he looks a, a great um, find. Who's twenty three and highly rated, and the, you can always tell by the the reaction of the fans of the club that he's come from. They didn't want him to go, which is always a good sign. Um, I think it's a, it's a great bit of business to, to, to get him for 200 grand as well is unbelievable. Um, you know, they've had to sort of wheel and deal for want of a better phrase, but to shell out that amount of money, which is not really much in the grand scheme of things, granted the, the current situation that everybody finds themselves in is a fantastic bit of business. Yeah. Um, Tony, I think it's fair to say, yeah, daylight robbery was committed down in the Bristol area when um, when we took him for that sort of cash. I always think a good player or the sign of a good player is when they've got space. And every time I've seen Morel have the ball, he's always got it in space. I mean, admittedly, we've only seen him for, what, 45 minutes cumulatively so far. But I think even even that soon is early enough to tell that, that we've got a player there. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, I agree with everything James has said. Um, you know, he just looks quality and when you think he's age 23 he's only going to get better but in when he's come on he's looked so comfortable on the ball and he, he has made that sort of instant impact so I, I, I think it's a fantastic piece of business and, and to be honest with you I'm, I'm still sort of slightly disbelieving that we, we've actually managed to get him No absolutely and of course he's the third Welsh international in the squad um also, actually, I mean, I've spoken to Joe Morell um, since he signed and um, I was never that articulate as a 23-year-old. Maybe I'm not that articulate now, but he, he was <laughs> very impressive. Yeah, he was a very impressive individual to speak to, the way the things that he said and um, his uh, his take on the game and saying that he's a, he's a student of the game and he knew all about Luton and he was very excited to come. <laughs> Says a lot about Luton's... Uh, recruitment strategy um, all, all the way through really from when Nathan first came in in the first spell he always uh, had that b- behind them and um, he's he's got a, he's got a fantastic player there but clearly a, 
a good bloke as well. Mm. Yeah, and like you say, 23 years old, there's so much upside to that signing. It's untrue. Um, that, really good. The, bit the Bristol fans, saying the Bristol fans were pretty upset about it, weren't they? They couldn't believe that they'd let him go. Yeah, I mean, Tyrick Backington must have turned into some player to get ahead of him. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Indeed. Um, two other signings then that were made on deadline day. Uh, we've not seen them yet, but I don't think it's going to be too long before we do. Uh, Sam Nomby from just Milton Keynes, make it um, clear. And Keenan Dewsbury Hall, a player who, well, it was the worst kept secret that we were interested in him during the summer from Leicester. Striker and a midfielder. Um, I think it's fair to say we needed another attacker, chaps, and I think we've seen that to an extent this week. Um, nobody really knows what to make of him, though, other than he's probably one for the future, Tony. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I'd like to uh, welcome him into the world of professional football. Um, <laughs> com- coming, coming from nowhere, it's great. And, and, and I think um, the age he is, he's he, he, coming to the right club. And, uh, you know, you, you just think of uh, all that uh, knowledge he's going to gain from from Big Mick as well. And uh, he, he, I mean, having looked at videos of him, people talk about he hasn't scored a lot of goals. But to me, that, that doesn't really mean anything. I mean, he, he, he's got everything. He, he's, he's got pace. Uh, he's got power. Um, you know, the video I saw, he, he looked quite comparable to me to Isaac Purcell um, not so much Andre Gray but m- maybe Purcell so I think that's probably something we need up front is, is a bit of uh, pace and, and and a bit more presence you know so I, I, I think that's a, a, a another exciting signing to be honest with you and obviously one advantage that he's got for the foreseeable future is he's used to playing in an empty stadium. Um, <laughs> there is that advantage as well. Okay. Which, which is certainly going to help. James, how do you see that signing? Uh, Tony mentioned Isaac Vassell there. I mean, he was the last... They always describe these players that nobody's ever heard of that's quite young as raw, don't they? Um, mm. He was the last one of those kind. If he's, what, 50% as impactful as, uh, as Isaac Vassell in that full season that he had, he, he certainly won't be found wanting will he no I think the thing with a striker if you if you're looking at pace power and goals uh, at championship level then Luton ain't going to be able to support that player so they've had to um, and with most of their signings uh, they have to be very clever in the way that they spot these players and they've done it lots let's be honest Uh, they've got a very good success rate it's not 100% of course it isn't but um you, you hold out hope that they, they can turn him into something. And, um, you know, Vassell, if that's the comparison, then um, then they could have a player on their hands. And even with Isaac, when I saw him in pre-season, when he was a trialist uh, before he joined the club, I distinctly remember saying, you know, I think it was a Bedford Town press box. I don't think Luton will sign him. He's not, being, he's not very good. And then, and then he just, turned phenomenal all of a sudden. So if they can work that kind of magic, then, um, then yeah, they've, they've clearly got a player on hands. I think the thing is, it, it was people saying he hasn't scored many goals. And obviously that's true, but what Luton are kind of lacking really is that devastating pace. So if, if he could at least just get Luton up the pitch, if he plays, obviously, and he might stand a better chance at the moment for obvious reasons. Um, 
if he can get Luton up the pitch or at least make opposition defenders be a bit fearful so it opens up the midfield a bit more, then there's more than one way to skin a cap. Yeah, there is indeed. Um, well, obviously, we wish him well and we look forward to seeing his progress uh, under Mick Harford. He certainly can't be learning off of someone better than um, than him, that's for sure. Now, every time I see uh, Nathan Jones in a press conference and the name Keenan at Dewsbury Hall come up, there's a glint in his eye. So he clearly rates this guy. I've, I've got to be honest, uh, other than a few minutes of a video that I saw of him playing against Arsenal in the Cup earlier this season, I've never seen him, not heard too much of him. I know he was out on loan at Blackpool last season. But he seems to be what we need because we're lacking that midfielder to um, join the attack, aren't we? Uh, to make the make the runs beyond the strikers, sorry. Um, to make to take the pressure off of the striker. And, and if he can do that, he'll have a, a big impression straight away. Yeah, um, and I'm like you as well. Uh, I, I tend to be a bit sceptical of people that go, oh, I've seen him play a lot and oh, I think he's wonderful. All I've got is that Leicester rate him highly and we know that Leicester's a wonderful club for bringing young talent through. So that's got to be um, a good mark uh, on his record. Uh, I, I noticed that the day he also signed a four-year contract with Leicester, so it doesn't look like he's going to be one of those players that Luton are going to be able to keep unless Leicester are just protecting their asset, maybe. But even so, if he has a stellar season, uh, we'll be able to afford him. But he's here for a season and hopefully he gets a start soon and, and we can enjoy his talents for um, the whole season and, and see what it's about. Um, he's, he is up very highly rated, so you, 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 you've just got to hope that he can transform any form that he showed in League One to to the Championship. But uh, you, you're right in that they, they need a midfielder that can do that. They haven't probably had that for for some time. Um, I know the midfield was a, was, was a bit different in in League One, but you're, you're looking at your, your Cameron McGeehan's sort of player that can arrive and score score his fair share of goals. And, you know, at the minute, uh, as much as I am a big fan of uh, Pelly and, and Glenn Ray, they are not going to score you many. Mm. No. no I think the, the Blackpool fans certainly rated him, didn't they? And uh, a lot of them were hoping they might get him back on loan for this season. But, uh, you know, it, it, if, um, as, you, as we said earlier, if, if uh, another club's fans that he played for rate him and, and are sorry to see them go, then you know you've got something there. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing him, you know, pull on the Luton shirt. Yeah, me too. And I'm sure it'll be sooner rather than later as well. So those three added to, uh, well, I suppose you'd call them the proper summer signings, Norrington Davies, Bree, Lockyer, and I've forgotten someone who uh, isn't immediately. Jordan Clark. Jordan Clark, thank you. Um, seven signings um, makes the squad look a lot stronger. Um, two it's, went... been a, it's been a good transfer window, Kev. Yeah, how oh, about yeah. I'll get... I'll... I'll get the reflections on the overall transfer window in a second, but let's just reflect on the two players that left on deadline day. Andrew Shinney's left on loan, but I think it's pretty obvious from the um, farewell videos that were doing the rounds pre- before the Millwall press conference that he's played his last game for the club. A real strong servant, a fantastic servant, a Rolls Royce of a footballer to watch. One of the one of the most enjoyable footballers I've I've watched in a Luton shirt for a long, long time, and 
massively important to that League One title success. Definitely. Yeah. You know, we're very grateful to uh, Andrew Shinney for, for what he's done for the club. Wish him nothing but success um, in his new venture down at Charlton. Um, but unfortunately, as you know, Kev, you know, with players, clubs move on and their tenure comes to an end. And I think that's, you know, maybe at the moment that it was just too much of a step for Shinny because when he did play last season, um, he, he didn't really do himself justice, did he? Like, he wasn't the player that he was for us in League One. Um, so perhaps he'll have a bit more success with Charlton at that level now. James? Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a fairly shrewd move by Charlton, to be honest. I think he'll um, propel them somewhere towards the top of that table. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I, I can't see that he's going to come back from this one. Um, yeah, he was a he was a fantastic player to, to watch in that division, a massive part of uh, the way that Luton romped away with it to a certain extent towards the uh, latter half of that season. Um, and it's such a shame that he wasn't able to translate that into the championship because it, it, you know, he wasn't he wasn't a box to box midfielder or anything. It wasn't like that. He was just a, a very good, clever player at unpicking a, a defence. And you know, you always need those, but. Uh, uh, he, he fallen down the, the pecking order and obviously wasn't going to get many games. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, it, I think it's the right move for him, and I think he probably goes with everyone's wishes, which is probably the best way for anything like that to end, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just say, Kev. Sorry, we'll, we'll always remember. You know, Shinny Stacey Collins' goal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, he definitely goes with uh, our best wishes. I guess, you know, like for like, Morel's, he looks like a younger version of um, Shinny, doesn't he? Albeit one that's uh, capable at this level. Uh, the other player that left on deadline day, he's already making a big impact at Bolton Wanderers, is Peter Kioso. He's on loan, but you do get the feeling that he will return to the club. Wow. So it's already good in a way then to see him having an impact at Bolton um, ahead of, you know, when he does come back. No, he, he will get great experience there. And the fact that he's already scored is, um, is really good. So, uh, yeah, he'll come back a much better player for it. I mean, I, 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 he, he had a good game against Manchester United, but that, that's, you know, a one-off game. It, it's not the, you know, the, the, the weekly grind of, you know, two games a week now, isn't it, uh, of championship football, is it? So it, 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 that's going to be a difficult ask for him. And, you know, I've seen comments from some supporters saying he should have been, you know, because he scored for Bolton, he should have stayed at Luton, he'd be better than Martin Craney. But he's still young, he's still inexperienced, and he hasn't got a lot of league experience. So that's what he's going to gain from this move to Bolton. Yeah, the age-old, you're uh, never as good a player um, as when you're out of the side. Uh, what did you make of that move, James? I think it was it went, wasn't it? Because there was all sorts of rumours that we were signing someone for Reading, and I guess that's why people are questioning whether he should have stayed because we never actually signed that player from Reading. Well, yeah, I mean, it was the same uh, for Shinny to, to move Shinny up to get um, Dewsbury Hall in. So, um, yeah, they were looking to to add the the move didn't quite come off for whatever reason. He's gone in there and hit the ground running with an assist and a goal in his first two games. So, 
if he can if he can play you know forty odd games this season in league football and impress, then um, you know Nathan Jones said today that it is with a view for him to come back and and compete at Luton. So I think it's good signs. You've got to remember where he's come from, and the the jump is quite big. Uh, to to make it in the championship, it, you know, it's quite big for Luton, who's gone from League Two, League One to Championship, as we saw last season. So um, it's probably in the the best move for him. Yeah, if down the line uh, he's fighting with Bree for a right back spot, then uh, we've certainly got some healthy competition. So you judge a transfer window by whether you're stronger coming out of it than when you went into it, and I think it's fair to say that the Towner. Uh, very much stronger uh, going forward, Tony. Um, those seven signers that we've discussed only lost two. More importantly, haven't lost any one of any um, huge importance, like a James Collins or you know, or, or a Pelly or, or a Sluger or someone like that. So, all in all, it has to be considered a successful window. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have got a much stronger squad now. I mean, I'm a little bit surprised that there wasn't one or two more moved out. Um, those perhaps on the fringes of the squad, but it's it definitely great that we haven't lost uh, any of our prize assets. So uh, yeah, great. As long as we can get through the next one as well in the same manner, I'll be more than happy. Well, that's the thing about the transfer windows this year, isn't it? One shuts and then 10 weeks later, another one opens. So it's mm. uh, going to be kind of crazy. Okay, chaps, let's... Um... Start talking about football on the pitch. And last time uh, I saw you guys on a Zoom call, the town were perfect record, two wins from two. We were going to the Premier League. We were going to be promoted by March. It's all gone a bit pear-shaped, James. What's happened? I wouldn't say pear-shaped. It's, it, it, it went better than expected at the start of the season. Um, anyone predicting that we're going to finish in the playoffs is... Uh, as an optimist and I'd like to have a glass of what they're having to be honest but I think if you you know I, I haven't seen anything to change my view of what the season will be like which is that I don't think there'll be anywhere near relegation but they aren't going to be challenging for the playoffs so uh, by that token it's not unreasonable for Luton to win two games and then to lose two games that's that seems pretty uh, you know reasonable form for that position in the league so it's just disappointing the way that the defeats against um, Millwall and Watford happened because they didn't turn up at all. Um, the, the Stoke one was so harsh, really, because uh, they they played them off the park for the first half, um, you know, in a disastrous 10 minutes at the start of the second half, swung it. But, you know, you look at every, every stat by the by the scoreline and it were better than Stoke so uh, it's just it's just one of those I think you know Stoke can do that to a lot of teams this season they they just they'll just sit there and, and be annoying and then maybe pinch something so um, uh, it, there's probably no shame in it although it's a bit disappointing but you know it's kind of that that stark contrast really the reaction after the Stoke game was like well you know we played really well but we lost to, to what happened after Millwall where it was disaster uh, and um, I, I don't think I don't see it quite like that. As, as long as Luton can bounce back, and you know, just just by judging the the short amount of time that Nathan's been back for, you know, and the times that they have lost, you know, they got absolutely gubbed by Red, and then came back the next game and played quite well. So um, 
you know, there's, there's there's every hope that they can go to a Sheffield Wednesday team who are probably feeling the pressure, even though they've got some wonderful players, and uh, uh, and get a result. When you say Stoke uh, sat there and um, took advantage of us, you mean literally in the case of Nick Powell, didn't you? Because that's literally all he did was sit on the floor and wait for someone to come over to him. It was embarrassing. Well, yeah, but that's, you know, this, this return to the Stoke of old, really, isn't it? People, uh, that that's what Stoke did. They were ugly and effective, so... Um, no shit, Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I exactly. I think it is. I think it is. Uh, Tony, let's go back to um, the, well, the ill-fated derby, really. Uh, what did you make of it? Uh, there, was no derby, there was no derby sort of presence about that whatsoever, was there? And... No. What's, what's all this helping Watford players with cramp? I mean, pick them up, chuck them off the pitch and then crack on. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, I came out of the Derby game feeling angry, like the Millwall game, angry um, that we hadn't turned up. I mean, I, I, I can accept losing if we put in a... A, a decent performance and they accept that we're going to have the occasional bad day at the office but we were just you know creating nothing you know we we, we, we there was no fight there was no drive um and and in fact you know we we made it easy for them in, in both the Watford and the Millwall games you know and, and I know Nathan has said about the impact of um Covid and them not being able to train, but you know, you you think there'd be a bit of life about them, a bit of fight. There was nothing about that on 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 Tuesday or or, or in the Watford game. So I was angry at both games and and and, and both performances. And uh, I think things have, have have got to improve. They've got to improve when we play away from home. Yeah, I mean, James, you was at the Watford game, and I know from speaking to you and reading your report and things on your website that you didn't see any sort of a derby nature at all but I guess the game could have been completely different if James Collins had scored from three yards out well yeah obviously it's that old, tired old cliche isn't it the goals change games but uh, you're right there was there, there was nothing <laughs> it's almost like a philosophical question isn't it you know when is a derby not a derby well it's it's when fans aren't there because there's that you've got to accept that the, the players are paid employees to do a job and however much they might love the club that unless you're from Luton, that um, passionate dislike of Watford um, is, is not going to be the same. And you're not going to then get that transferred from the stands uh, as you would in a no, normal Derby game. So um it, it, yeah, it was so so disappointing. Every single aspect of it, not just the not just the game, just like arriving at the stadium to no one around and uh, having to walk through the stadium, seeing giant giant pictures of Elton John everywhere, <laughs> and uh, just just watching a game where and it wasn't just Luton as well. Luton didn't turn up, but Watford didn't think didn't act like it was a derby either. It was like there was hardly a a tackle put in. There was nothing to really rile anyone up. It was just. It was just like a practice match. And, um, you know, they, Watford probably could have been there for the taking if Luton had turned up, but they just didn't. So, um, you know, you wait 14 years for 
won. I mean, that was the first derby I've ever covered. I was so, so excited about it. Even more so after you'd written a piece on my uh, website about how Luton's a better run club than Watford, which I still stand by. And all the bedwetters yeah, yeah. down, down the road through the toilet out the pram going, yeah, but we've we've been in the Premier League for five years like that, like that's some sort of trophy. And they mm. get, uh, you know, not not acknowledging the fact that they got relegated out of said league because their owners sacked the manager to get two or three games before the season who was clearly getting them out. If that's not bad ownership, then I don't know what is. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, it was just like, it was all that wonderful build-up. We were talking about it. We did this podcast before and it was, it was just none of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm properly bored now of no fans. It's it, it was a novelty for the first half of the first game after lockdown, but... It's on days like that, but you really, really notice it. And it's just not the same. Football without fans is just not the same. No, sadly, more effort went into boarding up the Graham Taylor statue than was put in on the pitch um, that afternoon. I mean, can I just say that is embarrassing? It, it really yeah, is. Yeah, it's pathetic. It was pathetic. It, it, the, the overreaction of the Hertfordshire Constabulary was just embarrassing. And, uh, I, you know, when I got there let alone around the outside of the ground. There was nobody in the town, you know, when I got there. There was nobody walking through the town. So the whole place was a ghost town. Um, yeah, it was. It, and from that moment, really, that, that nothing really went right in the day. I even had a bag of chips and dropped my Savoy, so that was no fun. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good day for you, no, was it, Joe? No, it was bad. Well, that makes me feel better about the day anyway. Yeah, that's one. There was one bright spot in amongst those four games, and I'm sure you enjoyed it more than most, Tony. Uh, the beating of Wickham, which actually started on the same day as it finished, which was in itself a miracle. Yes, that was amazing. I, I think uh, bringing my sleeping bag and a thermos uh, flask full of coffee was uh, a, a, a touch uh, over-optimistic by me. But uh, no, I, I was amazed. I was amazed. Uh uh, but they got exactly what they deserved, Wickham. We, we, we played well, and I, I loved Pelly's goal celebrations. You know, and, and the other thing that I was praying, I, I wanted us to beat them, but I also didn't want them to score their first goal against us. So, for me, I was happy on two fronts. Yeah, no, they never looked like well. Apart from the disallowed goal, the flag was up long before we put the ball in. Um, well, that was, that was the icing on the cake for me. Yeah, they never looked like scoring apart from that, though, did they? And having seen their goal against Millwall, I can see uh, I can see them struggling because, unfortunately, the goalkeeper didn't bother taking on our strikers like he did the Wickham one, did he? So uh, that was a bit no. of a pain. But a uh, pretty comfortable win there, and hopefully that's the first of um, quite a few home wins over the course of the season. Uh, James, I'll come back to you because you've been to the last two games. And there's been a theme in both, and that is no James Collins because of uh, his positive COVID test. And that has led to Danny Hilton coming into the side. Now, if you're a social media reader, and I'm pretty sure you are, you will not have escaped plenty of what has been called today by the manager as keyboard warriors about his performance. I tweeted ahead of Saturday, having seen them previously that a lot of people are going to have to eat humble pie if Danny Hilton does the business he hasn't had the chance to do the business in the two games but what do you make of him a let's answer the question that he's going around is he good enough for the championship 
And B, what do you make of his sort of performances and the stick that he's getting? Bearing in mind that he is a player who's been pivotal to two prom- well, one promotion certainly, but part of the squad for a second one. I think the stick he's getting is pretty outrageous, to be honest. You know, it's one thing to question whether he's maybe fit or up to the pace of it at the moment. And, you know, there's a case to say that because uh, Danny Hilton, even of two, three years ago, would take a few games to get into into it. it you know, even after uh, he'd been sus- one of his many suspensions, <laughs> if he'd been out, it'd take a, take a while to get back into it. But to say he's not up to a uh, championship standard, when he has been feeding off less than scraps, um, is pretty it's pretty ridiculous, really. I mean, he, I I don't know what people are seeing when they're watching it on telly because unfortunately most people have to watch it on telly or on the iFollow, so maybe you only see little snapshots of it. But I can tell you, I was at the games, the last two games, so I've been able to watch him, and particularly against Stoke in the first half, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. He was, well, he was so good. And he does things that, um, and bear in mind, I do, I do think he's not like up to speed yet. And, and, and he wouldn't be because he had such a long time out of through injury. Then Graham Jones didn't fancy him. And then he sort of had to make do with a bit part, uh, bit part performances at the end of the season, but he does things and he still has the potential to do things that the other strikers that Luton have got don't do. And if you take the Stoke game where he uh, nutmegs a player and has a shot in the tight, tight confines in the penalty area, James Collins doesn't do that. And I love James Collins. I think he's a wonderful player. The to- totally different players. And Danny, Danny Collins, uh, Danny Hilton, sorry, not the same person. <laughs> um, he can, he can, his link up play uh, is, is very good, but he can also play on the shoulder. Even though he's not got the pace, he's not going to like burn away from people. But he does like he, he can stretch it in that way. James Collins to me is uh, an arch finisher. You stick it uh, apart from against Watford, obviously. <laughs> you stick it in front of him, six yards out, it'll mostly score. But Danny Hilton will link up the play better than J- uh, James Collins, uh, I think. Um, so. Uh, you know, there's lots of different. It would take a long time to go through all the amounts of um, comments that have come of it, and lots of them focus on different things that maybe he hasn't he hasn't scored. Well, that's true, uh, and he hasn't done enough. And I I refute that that he hasn't done enough. He hasn't been helped by the by the poor service in two games. There's been not enough, and hopefully that will change with the players that Luton have brought in and the midfielders that. Um, that they've brought in, you know, Dewsbury Hall at least needs to be in the squad. He wasn't available because of COVID testing. And Joe Morell's made a fantastic case for a starting. So those players, have, well, Joe Morell in particular, has shown that he's got an eye for a pass. And uh, one would think that Dewsbury Hall's got equal ability to link up the play. And then suddenly the midfielder are a bit close to the strikers and Danny Hill will, will thrive off that. So I don't, It'd be nice to get a sort of uh, a general uh, sense of why everyone thinks he's not good enough. Is it because he didn't really do anything when he came back after lockdown? Well, extenuating circumstances of a long period out of um, a injury, and then probably thinking his days at Luton Town were numbered because Graham Jones didn't like him. Well, that's last season. This season, he's had all that time to come back. Other people, other players, most players have had similar time out resting he's probably at a similar level he, he does take time to come back he is 31 as well 
um, is another thing. It's just going to take a few games to get into it. And, you know, I saw some stats earlier today that even when he was banging them in um, for Luton, his first four or five games, six games, didn't, didn't really register. It's not necessarily, if you're just judging it on goals, then that's not necessarily what Danny Hilton always brings to the party, even though his goal-scoring record before he got injured was absolutely sensational. So there's no reason why he can't get that back because you always know where the goal is if you score that many. Yeah, Mike of the Luton News was going against the social media grain when he was um, posting the good things that Danny did in those stats. Tony, is this, is this just as simple as we are looking at a man who needs a goal? I think it's a number of things. Yes, I, th- I think Danny badly needs a goal. And he, I mean, he hasn't had many, many chances uh, in this period. And I think maybe as a striker, if, if, you, if you need a goal and you're desperate to get a goal that can add to the pressures on you when, when you're trying to, to you get a chance and you snatch at it or you don't do the right thing. I think one of the problems for Danny at the moment is since Collins has been out, he's been asked to play as a target man. And Danny's not a target man. He's not a also, target man. Also, if he's being asked to be a target man, the people pigging get balls to him are badly exactly. misfiring because they're pinging a ball 20 yards the other side of him yeah that that that's what's happening and and you know when you when you look at Danny in in, in happier times he, he can hold the ball up he can he, he's a good footballer and uh, I I think he is good enough for this level um but I think as you say James he he needs a bit of time because he didn't he played hardly anything last season um, he hasn't had a chance to uh, acclimatise, uh, and, he, and he needs that. Plus, as well, your point as well is exactly right. That it, 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 what service is he getting? Mm. Absolutely nothing. He can't do it all on his own. Um, he needs backup from the midfield, and, and unfortunately, that's sadly lacking. And I, I think, um, you know, a lot of supporters need to give the guy a break. Um, I mean, I, I was on... I, I saw somebody on social media who posted uh, about about Danny and then about uh, Nathan uh, saying, you know, uh, uh, about those going on being keyboard warriors. And, and I had to point out that, you know, he's not calling all supporters a key, keyboard warriors. He's, he's, he was talking about those that feel beyond, from the anonymity of their keyboard uh, to have a go at Danny when they should be supportive you know try and remember what the guy I know there's no room for sentiment in football but at least you remember what the guy has done for us and and you know in a way Danny's like our talisman isn't he but at the moment things are stacked against him so instead of having a go at him get behind him and support him yeah I That's mean I've seen people, I've seen people um, sort of question Nathan's belief in Danny well I don't really buy that you know but even if you do question that I wouldn't question Big Mick's belief in Danny Hilton. And if someone knows a striker out there, it's Big Mick, not someone sat, you know, behind watching, like you say, James, watching a TV screen. And also the other thing I'd add to that is, is Danny Hilton good enough at this level? Well, he sure as hell looked good enough when he was scoring against Newcastle and getting a second one a couple of yeah. years ago. And they're perfectly good enough at this level. So I think given a run of games, which he's probably not going to get in fairness, because all the indications are that Collins will be back on Wednesday and probably will go straight back into the side. But 
with a run of games or a run of fitness or everything else over these games that are coming and they are coming thick and fast, thicker and faster than anything I've ever remembered. Uh, I'm sure at some point we will see the full, um, the full worth of Danny Hilton. The other thing to touch on as well, which neither of you mentioned there, but we've all been to the training ground and we've all seen the impact that that bloke has off the pitch on this squad, much like Pelly Rudder Kampanzu. And that is almost worth as much as, you know, what he does at his best on the pitch. Yeah. And also um, his his, um, demeanour when he's nowhere near the ball to defenders. He winds them up something chronic and that's a good thing because he can't be too nice in this division. Um, So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said still for Danny Hilton, I think. And uh, I think people criticise him are at best premature and uh, at worst, really, really myopic in their view. I think, I mean, if you go, if you're saying what, 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 what is the standard that makes him be able to cut it? it does he have to score 20 goals? Well, he's not, he's not going to do that, but then James Collins didn't score 20 goals last season, did he? So, it'd be nice to know what the qualification is that they make these statements from. You never get it because they never do on social media. It's the, it, and that's that's the point about the anonymity of a keyboard warrior. If you can write a, you know, a, a, a balanced piece about why you think he is, or you can talk about it in a balanced piece about why you think he's not good enough, then I'll listen. But if you just say he's not good enough based on, you know, you know, you're watching a performance on television. Unfortunately, I'd prefer you were, all fans were able to get in the ground. I'm not criticising you there. You're, you're there um, out of necessity watching on TV, but I, I don't see it myself. To be fair, I he was getting criticised when we were there um, towards the end of the League One title winning season anyway, so it's not just watching television. Sorry, Tony. Yeah, I was going to say, I think with Danny as well, I think he's one of these players that the lack of fans at the game is, is affecting as well because he needs to feed off the fans. You know, whether it's his own supporters getting behind him and cheering him or the the opposition fans seeing him as a pantomime villain and having a go at him. He, he needs that feedback and he needs that atmosphere, Danny does. So I, I think uh, that is another factor that's against him. Yeah, all good points. And the other thing that he doesn't do is he doesn't help Watford players out with cramp, which is um, positive <laughs> too. Uh, we um, we looked Pornick's at... never going to be able to forget that, is he? No, he's not. No, it's not It's, it's not even his ridiculous Barnet that's... When it happened, Kev, I did think of you. When it happened, I did think of you. That's I thought, just... oh dear, Mr Harper's not going to be happy with that. No, no, not unless unless the help that he was given was of a Harold Shipman type variety. I wasn't interested. Um, <laughs> defense. We we looked at uh, two defenders in the last podcast that we did: Sonny Bradley and Reese Norrington Davies. Let's have a look at another defender who's played all of those games that we've touched on: uh, Matty Pearson. Um, are we getting? Um, uh, Believe me, I'm not a keyboard warrior myself here. I'm merely asking the question for you two to discuss. Are we getting to the point where Matty Pearson's shelf life in our first team is strained at best, stroke coming to an end? Um, you know, and I, can I caveat as well that I, I like Matty Pearson. 
I think we all do. Won- this just the yeah, it's been wonderful for the club, and I, I like him as a bloke as well. But I think yes, probably yes. Um, he's he is a blood and guts defender, and you give him that, and he'll throw his body in the line of everything. But he's with the ball at his feet. He's not. Is not helping the team, and of late. And this is this contributes to perhaps the Danny Hilton argument as well. He's smashing aimless balls up the pitch. That and if they were going straight to Danny Hilton, and then it, Danny Hilton's not controlling them, fine. But then they're, they're just aimless balls being pumped up, and they're just coming straight back, and it's not it's not helping. Um, and I think it's probably it sort of got um, more solidified in my mind after Sonny Bradley parted Tom partnered Tom Lockyer against Manchester United and I thought they looked very, very good together. You know, I think if we haven't spoken about it on this podcast, I've certainly written it that I think Sonny Bradley has shown huge improvements this season. I think he looks very good, looked calm, collected on the ball. And, and I think that was helped a lot. Um, Emphasised even more, sorry, not helped a lot. Emphasised even more by his presence alongside Tom Lockyer and I think really the the symbolism of withdrawing Pearson in the final stages against the Millwall for George Monker suggested that Tom Lockyer is going to start uh, against Sheffield Wednesday. And I think it's the I think it's the right move. He's, he's an international player for starters, but he he looked very good um, against Man United against those players. Uh, you know, even if they're not in form, they're very. Um, <coughs> Very, very good players. So I would like to see that partnership um, give it a go. And uh, that would unfortunately mean that probably Matty Pearson has to has to sit out. Um, again, not, not, not a slight on him. Um, but, uh, you know, you, <laughs> as much as you want to give out sentiment for the likes of um, Andrew Shinney, there, there really is none in football. You've just got to move with the... Go with the flow, and move the time. So, um, you know, I think that's probably where where we are at the moment with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with with Matty Pearson, obviously, you know what he did in that League One title winning season. You know, words you know aren't needed for that. He was absolutely fantastic. But in football, you either improve or you stand still, don't you? And uh, that just looks like an area where we can improve, Tony. Not that's not to say that Matty Pearson is no longer good enough to be with us or anything like that. It's just natural improvement of the side, isn't it? We've got a centre-back there, much like last season when we had Cameron Carter-Vickers and Pearson couldn't get in. We've got a centre-back there in Lockyer who is good for the level. You know, you look at all of these other championship sides, even Millwall the other day, you know, if you'd said to me that um, their centre-backs were going to be good on the ball and playing passes into their midfield. I'd have said, don't be stupid. They play for Millwall, they'll just lump it long. But that wasn't the case. That is what they did. All of these sides now are having these ball-playing defenders. And and that's the key area that, that Pearson can work on in his game whilst Lockyer replaces him. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it's such a shame. It, it, I mean, he was exactly what we needed in League One. Matty was, and uh, I, I fully uh, go along with James off off the pitch. He's he's a smashing guy, and 
you know, he, he, he's this old-fashioned type centre-forward, blood and guts player who'll give you everything. But unfortunately, in, in the championship at the moment, it, it's we just need that little bit more that it looks like Matty can't give us at the moment. You know, if you want a player to go out there and run through brick walls for you, he's the player. He's, he's the one that would be first on the team sheet. But unfortunately, you need, you, these days, a centre-back in the championship needs a bit more nounce, a bit more, uh, perhaps culture is the wrong word to use, but a little bit more, you know, with the ball at their feet and they can see and, and they know where to play it. I think with Matty, I, th- I think his, um, the way his style of playing, it, it, it's safety first and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that that's his first instinct. And then when he gets a situation where he's got the ball at his feet, maybe it's sort of, he looks up and thinks, oh, I, I, I don't know what to do. If, if there's nobody square to pass it to or whatever, then the only option I've got is to knock it forward and hopefully we'll get something from that. So I, I, I agree with you. I, I think Lockyer is going to come in and, and, and I think they'll him and, and Sonny will, will tie up that centre-back pairing. You're right, they look fantastic against Manchester United. Um, but I, I, I think Matty, it's... It, it, you know, when we're defending and we need some extra grit at the back to, to maintain a lead in the closing stages of the game, I think perhaps that's when Matty will be at his best use to us. Um, and I don't think anybody wishes him any ill or anything like that. I think he's been great for us. But perhaps it is a bit too much, you know, at the moment. That, that doesn't mean that he, 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 he may not be able to step up. Perhaps he just needs a bit more time. But I think if you look at it, I think it's quite telling that when Barnsley got promoted, um, the last, not this time when they got up to the championship before, one of the first things they did was let Matty go when he, when he came to us. So maybe that's, that tells you a lot more than we thought at the time. Yeah, nobody's saying there's not a play, not a role for Pearson, whether it's the squad player or even as right back cover. I don't, you know, uh, I feel, I or if they if they play three at the back, then. Um... You know that I think that that is a role that can work. It's just uh, trying to find that right formation. But yeah, um, and, you know, if you go through apparent, it? It, the last two home, the last two games in particular, that you know, like you say, is distribution. It's, we've had good periods of possession, but then you know it just goes nowhere once it you know gets in his direction. Whereas on the opposite side, Sonny Bradley's carrying the ball into the opposition half and committing players. Was creating space for others. I mean, listen, that's a that's a decision for Nathan to make. But I I I certainly agree with you, James. I thought for a game that had gone the other night when George Moncur came on, that was a a, a signal of intent for Saturday, for sure. Um, what will be will be with regards to Pearson and indeed Danny Hilton. But uh, let, let's have a look at football as a wider issue now, chaps, because last week it became apparent. Um that Manchester United and Liverpool were getting their noses stuck into um, what might or might not happen in football going forward uh, with what they call Project Big Picture that they've apparently been cooking up for a year with the EFL chairman, Rick Parry, chief executive, whatever um, Rick Parry's role is. I suspect it won't be that for much longer. Um, So the simple question, Tony, what did you make of it? I have mixed feelings about it, to be honest with you. Uh, Kev, I mean, if you look at it, there, there were a lot of good things in it. 
However, it, it it's the strings that come with it. I mean, um, the fact that they wanted to give more power to the big six, and I'm very much, you know, why should these six clubs get special consideration and, 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 and special treatment um, when they, you know, they turned around and said they wanted the, the Premier League reduced to 18 clubs. Well, you know, there's a lot of other Premier League clubs that are going to turn around and say, hang on a minute, we're not going to be to- turkeys voting for Christmas. The annoying thing about this is, you know, with the reduction of the Premier League, um, it, they used the, the, the same um, tagline that they used when the Premier League was first formed. Um, you know, it's going to be better for England and this, and, and that's a load of cobblers. You know, it just means what they want. And it's showing now they're talking about a European Super League. That's what they want. They want more time to play in Europe. They want more time to go and play friendlies in the Far East or whatever. Um, And this is what it's all about. Their their primary motive is money. It's not about improving the game all the way down. And I don't trust the big six one iota. It's all about money. And I think, you know, if you look at it, a lot of this is coming from American owners. And I think ultimately what they want is they want a system like the NFL where nobody gets relegated. It will be a franchise system. That's what they want. You know, maybe a long way in the future, but I think that's what they want. James Tony says it's all money orientated, but if the money filters down to the EFL, does that matter? <clears throat> well, there was a re- there was a reason why a lot of the EFL clubs seem to be in favour of it because um, they're in tight straits at the moment, and it's yeah. pure it's pure opportunism, really. And I agree with Tony on the point that they want it like the NFL where there's no relegation, but I don't understand why they want that because those clubs are never going to get relegated from the Premier League. They've got far too much money and far too, far too much power and uh, in attracting players that are going to keep them far, far away from the, the relegation scrap in the Premier League. United so, seem a bit keen on it at the moment, don't they, going down? So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Then they now that Van Dyke's got injured, all you hear is how Liverpool are in such dire straits. <laughs> Do you know what though? I'm 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 very very disappointed in Liverpool because um, they they've got a manager there who you know to all intents and purposes is a, it, and he said it himself he's he's a socialist. It's about helping everybody out and 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 the city's like that. And you know when the pandemic hit, there was news broke that Liverpool weren't going to pay their furloughed staff and the the owners you turned on that because there was such a strength of feeling about it. And I thought that. The owners, t- they do seem to project a, a bit more of a, a sense of a, a feeling for the people of that city. So I thought they would have understood it a bit more. Um, so I'm a bit disappointed that, that they were sort of one of the two clubs spearheading um, th- this push for it. I mean, there there are there are some great things in that in that deal. Uh, football does need to be the, the money in it does need to be redistributed. Uh, for the good of the game, and if it comes down and filters in into the um, EFL, more the better. But the, yeah, the, the the power grab aspect and the, um, the 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 voting rights aspect of it in the Premier League is is unpalatable, and that can't happen. Um, and I, I, I'm glad that the rest of the Premier League just um, you know rejected it out of hand. But 
if you if you focus on the point about the money that's that, that possibly could come down that is a good thing at the same time and um you know one of the uh, not that i'm saying i agree with the government here <laughs> i don't really agree with the government <laughs> on anything but they are they are playing the two the two leagues off against each other here and saying they're not going to get involved and that the premier league need to uh, dish out more of the vast amount of wealth that they've got that's true the premier league do need to think about the good of the game and and and, and how it develops um and and help out those clubs i think that's right i think it's absolutely right but at the same time the efl cannot carry on the way it's carried on and i'm thinking the the, the championship here You've got Luton who try and live within their means and yet they travel on Saturday to Hillsborough who are at the bottom of the league with a points deduction because of financial mismanagement. And that's everywhere in the championship. There's The amount of clubs is, is, is a huge percentage of them that are paying out more money in the pound in wages than they are receiving. That can't, that can't happen. And so you know in the long run if if there's going to be any money given to um the championship clubs i i think that they should hand hand some money right now to the lower leagues don't get me wrong then that i think there has to be some caveats really around how those clubs operate and that will and if that happens and you know if 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 at least this starts the conversation about it for those clubs to be run properly and it happens somehow i don't yet i don't yet know i haven't got the blueprint for how that could happen but then a club like luton in the championship is going to benefit them hugely because they are run properly and other clubs aren't so um this you know once you sort of get past the the really unpalatable aspects of that um that deal which obviously is has been panned now but there's that there are some there are some good aspects, but football has to help itself. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you mentioned the Sheffield Wednesday situation. It made me laugh during the commentary on their game on Sky on Wednesday when uh, the lead commentator said Sheffield Wednesday started the season minus twelve through no fault of their own. Well, whose fault was it then? If it, if it wasn't their yeah, own, yeah. I mean, come on, son, wakey, wakey. Let's have some coffee yeah, in the real world in this direction. I don't think it's you know it. it pervasive the money thing through it I mean when you look at the Premier League I don't think it was Arsenal they laid you know well they made redundant a, a, a whole load of staff at the same time talking about putting a 45 million pound bid in for a player now that's wrong that is totally wrong and you know also the the um, the big six then would have would uh, you know look at who's coming into own football clubs and, and make a decision on that and I'm thinking no there's too much of this to tail wagging the dog. You know, what we need is a regulatory body that have got some teeth and are consistent and will come in and apply the rules to the same, no matter who the club is. You know, so many times over the past, we've seen cases where one club um, gets absolutely punished like we were. And then you get another club because they're a great big club and they're fashionable who do the same or worse than us and they get a slap on the wrist. And, and the whole thing is totally wrong. And also, 
you know, it's all very well and good, the powers that be in football, making all these decisions and deciding what goes on. When are the supporters going to be consulted in all of this? Because if you if you look at um, any of the big six supporters, I mean, a, a very close friend of mine, a season ticket holder at Chelsea, right? He goes and watches Chelsea home and away. And uh, he, he said to me over this, he, he thinks that it's just a power grab and it's them being, um, you know, greedy. And he said about this European League, he said, it's a load of bollocks. He said, we get fed up, you know, in the Champions League, we play in the Champions League. And he said, you get the same teams all the time, Barcelona, Porto, whatever. And he said, we want to play in our domestic competition. You know, and, and most of the supporters feel that the money should be spread out more, come down. And I, I think there's going to come a time where they, they, you, you're going to see that supporters will rise up. They've had enough of it. They're sick of it. Because what's going on with COVID at least should have shown the authorities and football clubs that you need fans at games. And even what another friend of mine turned around jokingly, he said, I'm expecting any time, he said, one of the big six to turn around and say, we're moving to the Far East. We're moving to China, which sounds ridiculous. But when you look at how they act and whatever, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me. wouldn't surprise me, especially some of these American owners coming over and they're used to the franchise system, in, you know, with baseball over in America and the NFL, where teams do bunks in the middle of the night. They'll move to another city because they've got a better offer. And they're totally wrong. Totally wrong. I must I must admit I was sat there watching um Sky Sports News on deadline day and you know they were running up the old total our total amounts spent from the Premier League clubs and it went beyond 1.2 billion 1.2 billion in a pandemic no less I was just thinking you know imagine if a levy of 10% was put on them transfers you've all of a sudden got yourself 120 million for doing nothing it's only basically money that's gone to the agents that would instead go into a pot. And that pot went to the EFL clubs. That's 130 million by the time the second um, transfer window, the domestic one, had ended because another uh, 100 million got spent in that. Um, that's 130 million going down to the EFL twice a year. That'll do. Why, why can't that be implemented? Well, yeah, exactly. But, you know... I, I I did read that project uh, big picture, and you know the thing about um, scrapping things like the parachute payments that has, that has to happen. That's just yeah, that's putting. Um, but the ironic thing is, the person who created the parachute payments is Rick Parry, yeah, the very person exactly. who's talking to these two clubs about wanting to get rid of the parachute payments. I mean, he's coming across as a bit of a weasel, to be to be quite honest. I wouldn't oh, trust yeah, the man as far as I could throw him, considering he used to be the chief executive of the Premier League and he was also chief executive of Liverpool. So I think there's a vested interest somewhere along the line, allegedly. Yeah, I mean, if he told me it was Thursday, I'd go and check calendars and make sure. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the, the trouble is there's no open discussions. It's all, you know, behind closed doors. You know, there's no transparency at all. And, you know, as I said, the whole thing revolves around money. You know, you look at this, everything in football, 
I hate to use the word corrupt, but it's wrong and it stinks, you know, when a new owner comes in, you know, and you talk to any supporter, it, it, you actually could put remedies in. Anybody takes over the football club, you have to put a bond up. You have to put so much up so that if you default uh, or you cause the club to go into receivership or whatever, you don't get that money back. If you turn out to be a good owner, everything's run fine, you get your money back. Simple. You know, why on earth don't they do this? Again, they could put a levy on transfer fees, on, on agents' fees. It goes into a fund to help clubs that are in trouble. You know, it, it, a lot of it, it, it's absolutely simple. Yet they get, you know, if they do deals, more people, you know, more money comes into the game. As you did, Kev, it goes straight into the agents' pockets and straight into the footballers' pockets. Now, I don't blame footballers because, you know, if you do any job and somebody was going to pay you X amount, of course you'd go for the big money, you know? Where I get fed up with footballers is when they say, it's a short career. Yeah, it's a short career, but then if that's the case and you leave, you do what everybody else does. You find a job. You know, so um, that's what used to happen in the past. There's a lot wrong with football. I think at some stage the government needs to, to step in, and, and, and so, but they won't. They won't. And if the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool really did have this altruism at heart, they would actually put money by and filter it down to the lower leagues without having to be put in a situation where they're being asked for it, without them getting together and thinking, what are we going to get out of this? Because that's what it comes down to. What are we going to get out of this? James, you was making a point about parachute payments before I rudely cut you off. Well, it's just a, a statement of obvious fact, isn't it? The, 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 those, that, that scenario needs to end straight away. And if this pandemic is going to do anything and it highlights the, you know, the financial plight of um, some clubs and highlights the fact that many other clubs are being run poorly, you can't be rewarded for failure. And to get relegated from the Premier League with a what is it, 115 million quid or something like that? It's, it's just outrageous, and it, it, it kind of puts a glass ceiling on on what you can achieve, really, because the teams that are coming down are always going to have that 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 backing. Whereas, you know, and you've seen the likes of Watford who've been able to rebuff 25 million pound bids for Saar. We didn't think it would get great shakes when I saw him, to be honest. But that is a lot of money. In the old days, that would be a lot of money because you've got a player there. And they've just said, we don't need to. And and they don't. And that's that, that's wrong. Um, you know, you shouldn't have that. Um, all all the club has got to do, James, in that case, is when they sign a player, they put a relegation clause in the contract. Yeah. Common sense. Yeah. Don't tell no. Bournemouth that because they didn't bother, did they? And uh, that's why they had to uh, get rid of everyone. Uh, you mentioned them turning down twenty-five million for that Sar. They want forty-five million for him, don't they? I mean, they should give us ten percent of that to get him out of Sonny Bradley's pocket. He spent <laughs> ninety minutes in um, a few weeks ago. Yeah, clearly something's got to happen. Um, the powers that be have got to get themselves together and get it sorted for League One and League Two. Uh, quickly but for the whole of football and um, hopefully something happens whether it's the Gary Neville based initiative or whatever it is something's got to happen chaps let's turn our attentions back to the pitch we've got five games between now and the next international break it's Saturday 
uh, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. And the first of those, Tony, is on this Saturday at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Jack Marriott seems to be breaking some sort of record coming up against the town. He's already done it this season and he's going to do it again on Saturday. Obviously, he scored against us in the first of those games. So we hope that that don't repeat itself. But I watched Sheffield Wednesday last night. I didn't think they were any great shakes, but you can never tell against Brentford, can you? Because they're a pretty good side. Uh, what have you made of Sheffield Wednesday? Do you think we'll win the game? Uh, they're obviously still minus four, uh, but they've got eight points for the season, so they're still below us anyway. Game that you can see us winning? Well, it depends if we turn up or not, Kev. We need to turn up and we need to up our weight performances. If if we do that, we're in with a shout and I can see us coming away with uh, something from that game. But if we play the same as we have in the last two away games, then unfortunately I can't see anything but a defeat. Yeah, James, what do you make of that game? I, I think we did we all go up to Hillsborough last season uh, for a 1 0 defeat pretty early on in the season. Uh, I thought it was going to be the worst game of football I watched last season, but oh my God, how wrong was I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, it's a better game for those of us that are forking out a tenner to watch it. Um, what do you make of that game? We've got absolutely no joy out of Sheffield Wednesday so far, really. So I'm not holding out much hope. Um, you know, I, I make Tony right about the away performances. But, and, you know, while he was saying that, I was thinking, you know, but for a goal that went in beyond the amount of time that was allotted against Millwall, it was a perfect, uh, it was a perfect away day performance that we'd seen in, in lockdown where they just sort of kept it tight uh, and, and then nicked it in the second half. So, uh, you know, maybe that was the game plan, although they were, you know, resolutely terrible in the first half and, and really should have been behind anyway. But anyway, but let's have a look at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, yeah, I mean, Luton have played reasonably okay against them. And not, the, the games haven't really set the world on fire. The one thing you've got to hope really is that their form at Hillsborough is not particularly good and they are battling for their lives, which can either galvanise a team or judging by their results, which have been a bit up and down so far, can make you more nervous, I think. I think probably um, they've got enough in their squad to get out of the get out of trouble, really. And I, I expect they will be. But uh, as long as Luton are, you know, roughly seven to nine points better off than them, um, I, I, I'd be very pleased. Um, also, actually, you know, to... to, to just to refer back to our last point about the financials of it, you know, Sheffield Wednesday find themselves where they are because of um, getting themselves into financial strife, yet they're still able to sign players like Jack Marriott, who will not have come cheap, and Izzy Brown, who will also not have come cheap, even though maybe Chelsea are paying some of his wages. But that sort of highlights the last point that, you know, even though they failed, uh, they, they can still draft in those sorts of players so they've got a lot of good good players like you know that you've got your Jordan Rhodes who's he, he's he's been knocking around the championship for a long time now he knows what the goal is so you know if they if Luton play, turn up and play anywhere like they did defensively against Millwall then then of course they'll lose but if as I suspect Tom Lockyer comes in then I think I hold out a bit more hope that they can keep him out and then it's then it's uh, the, at the other end, isn't it? Where, where the, they can get Danny Hill on the service, or, or at least support him, so that the midfield can get anywhere near the goal. 
You'll be an extremely kind calling matches at Hillsborough not great. I'm still searching <laughs> for the 90 minutes that we waste. I'll tell you back. what, I, 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 I'm hoping after Saturday's game that uh, Wednesday will pull it together because the sooner the better that Wickham are at the actual bottom of that table, the happier I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that FA Cup game against Sheffield Wednesday is still, still in my memory as one of the... Yeah pointless days of football I've ever watched. Still on the bright side, Nathan Jones will still be manager in the following game this time and that comes at home to Nottingham Forest. Uh, Another Sky game. So if you believe everyone out there, we can't win on Sky. So we're in trouble for this one. Tony, there are, they always say this cliche, don't they? It's a good time to play teams or there's a bad time to play teams. There's never a normal time to play teams. Have we got Nottingham Forest at the wrong time now that they've changed their manager and seemingly got someone useful in? Well, yeah, it, it always seems to happen that way because um, they've started pulling it around, haven't they? It's a, it's a, it's one of those games, again, it's going to be difficult to call. But I think if we can uh, maintain our home form, even if we play the way we did against Stoke, I think we're more than capable of beating them. I mean, we were unlucky in our last home game, so I expect us to be polished. James, uh, we come up against a nemesis in that game, Lyle Taylor. He seems to score every single time he sees anything, anything to do with Luton. Uh, and he now plays for Nottingham Forest, doesn't he? Um, hopefully we'll keep him a bit quiet. But what do you make of that game? They're obviously going to improve under Hewton, aren't they? They they are. And, you know, I, I rate Hewton very highly, um, to be honest. But, you know, one, one, one thing that you could perhaps feel optimistic about is I think Hewton is a bit of a mentor to Nathan Jones. So, Maybe Nathan knows uh, all about the way he works, but he's 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 a very effective uh, manager, certainly in this division, and arguably he should be managing the Premier League. Um, so, uh, you know, but I think I think that's probably some cause for optimism that, that Nathan knows all about him. Um, he'll want to he'll want to obviously beat him. He wants to beat everyone, but that's. That, uh, uh, I think uh, Lockyer should know how to play Taylor, though, shouldn't he? It's going to be my next point. Yeah, that hopefully that he'll have had some um, experience of, of of playing him. But the, you know, to be fair though, uh, judging by Lockyer, uh, not Lockyer, judging by Taylor in the performances that he's put in against Luton, he's just one of those players that can do absolutely nothing and turn up uh, for one one moment in a game and score, which uh, is is really rather annoying, particularly when it's him. But, um, Hopefully he, he won't go in the pigeon coop before the game this time either. What's that? I don't know what he's I'm not so about. sure that we can talk about Barnett <laughs> with the one that Harry Cornick's uh, carrying what, 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 what he had on his head at the last game? Yeah, no. I'm not so sure we can go there. We've got we've got a few um, dodgy ones ourselves. So what we'll do is we'll move on to Halloween. And if there's ever a team that we that fits us playing against on Halloween, after what happened last season, it has to be Brentford, doesn't it? And uh, having watched them last night, I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit scared myself. In fact, that might be more scary than some of the random idiots that turn up wearing masks at my door wanting sweets that particular night. What do you make of that, though, Tony? They don't... Everyone tells me they're not the same side because they've lost Ollie Watkins and Saeed Benrahma, but Ivan Tony's already the top scorer in this league. And um, they 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 still look pretty good to me. Yeah, I I was going to say that they've lost a couple of really good players, but they seem consistent. They've re, you know they've replaced uh, Ollie Watkins with Ivan Tony. 
and they've got players there. So uh, I'll be happy with a point against them, to be honest with you, Kevin. We have got something to prove against them as well. Uh, but it, it, make no bones about it, it's going to be a hard game for us and we're going to be at the top of our game in that one. But uh, it, if it all goes well for us and we do produce a performance, I think we're capable of getting the point. Is this a Halloween horror, James, or one that we can um, treat ourselves to watching? Um, I think it's probably the former, to be honest. Unfortunately, it's... Um... They are a good side. They are. They are a very good side, and 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 they're it. They're a good side just from the, the the DNA they've they've managed to put together because they can lose players like uh, Ben Rambo and Watkins and still be very effective. Um, and it, you know, in, in that sense, they're they're a very good blueprint for what Luton probably want to be. Um, but yeah, I just. I, I was more. I was as surprised as anyone when Luton managed to beat them at Kenworth Road last time, considering it was an absolutely dreadful day. The the one of the most dreadful days, other than getting relegated out of the football league. I would suggest it was that bad. It was, uh, and I still don't know whether it's because they that they were that sensational or Luton were just that poor. Um, but it's a debate for another day, isn't it? But. Um, I, I would, I would not. I really, I'm really not expecting them to get anything out of that game, to be honest. Yeah, I know. Anyone who's listened to me in the past, I try to be as optimistic as I can about Luton, but I am, you know, that that game just scares the living daylights out of me, whether it's Halloween or not. Hopefully, we survive that game though, and then we have a nice midweek trip to Yorkshire to take on um, Rotherham United, a side who probably started better than most people would have given them credit for. But that's got to be a game, Tony, that we're looking at winning, surely. If you know, if we're going to not not just avoid relegation, but we're going to actually make strides this season, we have to be not losing at Rotherham, but probably winning. Oh, yes. I, I, I expect us to win up there, to be honest with you. I'm a bit, uh, bit put out because um, it's a new ground for us as well, isn't it, in, in New York Stadium, uh, that we can't go. But also for personal reasons, because I've got a lot of contacts up there. And it's one game I would have liked to have gone to. But uh, I, I think, you know, um, we put in our, our usual away performance, not the last two that we've had. I think we, 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 we could get a win there. I would expect us to win at Rotherham. Not the most glamorous setting for a Wednesday night, James, but if three points come away from it, then uh, who cares? Yeah, yeah, well, that's exactly it, really. Um I'm like you. I I thought they'd be a little bit worse off. They seem to be able to eke out a draw, which might uh, help them. Um, and it doesn't point to the most enthralling game of football. If when a team can do that, um, that you know they'll be scrapping for their lives. We all know how difficult it is to come up into the championship after last season, and um, hopefully that can play a part uh, with Luton having at least a season more. Uh, of Naus in the division, but you know it's. It, I think it really depends about the the next few games before that as to how Luton are going to play because any any more of the uh, any more of the Millwall performance, and then um, you'd be worried. I think the good thing is that Luton aren't stuck with the the same squad, uh, the same players 
that they can utilize they've got some players to come in and ask calls for optimism so um it's it's uh i i would like to see that I would like to say that they'd win, but I would sort of kind of reserve my judgment until I've seen the next couple of games. And given that the um, the third away game in this run is also in Yorkshire, where do you stand on covering these games? Are you able to in Yorkshire with most of it going into tier three lockdown, or you know, are, are you exempt? Do you get to do it? What how's how's it stand? Yeah, it's a strange one. My missus said that uh, this morning about Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, and I, I, to, I'll be honest with you, I've not, I, I've not looked into it, but when the first uh, wave hit, so to speak, uh, back in March and everyone was in lockdown, um, journalists were part of the exempt um, list of jobs, as, uh, along with, um, uh, you know, your, your key workers, who obviously they're far more important, <laughs> uh, way, 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 way more important, but... Um, yeah, the the you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to see the you know the ten o'clock news if journalists were not allowed to go in, into those areas and report them. So I think that would, would probably be the case. I I, I think also it you, you go into a, a a place a stadium where there's minimal people there. There's like you know very skeleton skeleton crew there getting you into the into the ground and. Uh, and you sort of you're tested, and you do these uh, health check uh, questionnaires, and have your temperature taken and stuff, and you have to wear a mask throughout. And you know, it's not it's not the it's not the greatest fun in the world, to be honest. Um, even if the even if you consider there's no fans, um, but it is also kind of I, I appreciate that probably there'd be many many fans that, that would like to be in that position to get into the stadium to see uh, live football because. Uh, you know that that's what it's all about, isn't it? Um, so uh, there's a very long-winded answer to your question. That I think that it would be allowed into the games. As long as you're in and out, there's uh, there's no such problem. That's good. Um, Tony, I'll come to you for that game. Then Huddersfield away is the is the last game before the international break. We beat them last season, didn't we? Towards the end of the season. In fact. Um, it was the game that me and James secretly told ourselves that we were relegated before, only to watch the town win the last three and um, come good. We'll take the same result again two weeks Saturday, wouldn't we? Yeah, of course we would. You know, um, do you know? It, it's funny because um, with like Huddersfield, they, they've started quite well, haven't they? And uh, you know, uh, a team that struggled. Um, really badly last season and they were one of those teams where people were expecting them to go down um, but they pulled around uh, again um, that's going to be an interesting game I think to see how far we've both come since that last game at Huddersfield um, you know we've we've definitely improved seems they have so again you know we're capable of winning it but I'd be happy with the point at that one, to be honest with you, Kev. James, I don't think you went to that game last year, but you, if you did, I apologise. It was on television, wasn't it? And um, yeah. and, we, and we performed really, really well. It, it was you. You referenced a little while ago the away performances since lockdown. It was very much one of them, wasn't it? Shut the door in the first half and go and get what you can in the second half. 
Yeah, but the thing with that is um, you've got to be clinical, which is what Lewin have not been of late. Um, you know, in the last two games, you've got to be clinical in both boxes because, um, you know, they're, they're likely to get at least one chance um, and then you've got to, you've got to take yours. Uh, and it's great when you can put it off, but that sort of... Um, that sort of away performance, smash and grab type thing. But uh, <laughs> funny enough, it's the sort of thing I was criticising Stoke for uh, earlier in the podcast. But, uh, you know, um, we are biased, aren't we? So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it will be very, very interesting because they've, they've had a new manager, obviously, and um, uh, they've started reasonably well. As uh, I, I still think they're one of the teams that you've got to be looking to try and beat. They'll be in and around where... You don't want to be, um, so I would like to think that they go there and get another result. Um, uh, I'll take a draw, obviously, but uh, I'd like a win. Yeah, it'd be nice going to uh, that international break uh, with a win. Uh, hopefully, everyone escapes those three trips to Yorkshire without further coronavirus um, issues, and uh, we can crack on. How many points uh, are you happy with then over those five games, Tony? Uh, uh, ten. James, I think they would get. I will say they'll get nine. Yeah, I have to say I think there's a maximum of twelve available because with all the best will in the world, I don't see us beating uh, Brentford. Um, I'm I'm just trying to be positive and optimistic, Kev. I know, but we tried that in the last podcast and look what happened. We went from yeah, yeah. 100% record. I'm going to be consistent. <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a reconsider, actually. I think nine is a bit optimistic. Uh, I, I think they'd probably get about eight. But to be honest, they, them, total, them, them totals are all enough to sort of keep us in mid-table, which I think we'll all be absolutely... Well, right. exactly. I mean, uh, Nathan, Nathan Jones highlighted if they can get 1.5 points per game, you know, averaged out, then they'll be fine and that, that, that would... That would speak to that sort of level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If we get seven and a half points, we'll have done well. We'll have, we'll have done very well, won't we? Um, let's finish off this episode by uh, focusing on a little bit of the community. Um, we haven't we haven't really gone into the community for a while uh, since the last podcast. Actually, there was some weird. There's something weird happening, um, Tony, with regards to. The academy and uh, the council and they've had um, approval for a dome and now they've not got approval for it and what do you make of it well it's very puzzling uh they've got planning permission for it and then it's not happening and i i don't quite understand um i don't understand where the councillors are coming from with this that you know it, it was such a close decision on planning permission because of the, all the positives and everything that this facility would would give the town, not just the football club. Um, so it, it, it's it's a real puzzle. Um, you've you, you've got to question what's going on behind the scenes. You know it it would be so good. Um, for the club, everything got, and, and, and following on the, the town to have this facility so that Luton can now go up an academy a level. So we're now able to keep these young players 
and run an under twenty three side, you know, which is which has got to be more attractive for the players around. You know, there's going to be more opportunities to come into the club. They can they can accommodate more players, as it were. So, you know, and so I I just don't understand. I think there's questions have got to be asked and the council have got to provide some answers. Yeah, James, I mean, um, the point Tony made there about the children of the town benefiting from it. I mean, obviously there's a lot in the news, isn't there at the minute about kids that aren't able to get things, uh, you know, with the Marcus Rashford situation and things, but surely this is a, this is something that everyone in Luton wants to get behind because the next generation, not, not you and me, but you know, children that are coming through, they need somewhere to, aspire to be great don't they and from everything i've seen of these plans and obviously the council must have originally thought that that was the case these seem to be perfectly suited so what could possibly have changed well i mean you're asking the a question about um sense and logic there when i don't think any exists these are the same people that saw fit to put an Audi supermarket next to Luton's training ground where they originally wanted to put this facility. Um, and then they, 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 then it, then it didn't get through, got deferred because they, they wanted some questions asked. Um, and then the, the, the people that voted against it, even though it got through originally were saying that, that, that people in that area need, need more open green space, but the, the space, Bit on Kitino Road behind the, the 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 school that used to be there. It's just the wasteland. It's not used by anyone. And in fact, Luton are going to have to put a lot of work to bring that up to scratch because it is so bad. But so I don't, I don't, un, I don't understand it. It's got all the like, um, it's all got all the consistency of a VAR on on the beers, really, isn't it? So, um, well, <laughs> God knows why. Maybe it's vindictiveness. I think. I think I'm right here, and I'm happily happy to be correct. But I think Luton are still challenging the uh, the other the other site where the Aldi is. They're, they're trying to do it, and maybe it's political because um, they don't like being uh, being challenged on those things. But you know, if they're gonna if they're gonna vote through uh, so unanimously Newlands Park and Power Court, then um, and they can see the, the the benefits that Luton Town Football Club are trying to. Uh, bring to the town it's exactly the same thing behind this I don't understand it um, and I also don't understand the process uh, you're right the council needs to give more answers than they currently have done because as far as I'm aware if planning permission is approved how can they renege, renege on the deal I, I, I really don't get it it's, it's making them look bad it really is and um, yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd encourage people um, to ask questions of their councillors and, you know, just ask, what are you playing at? Mm. You know, what what the hell's going on? Uh, do you the answers? You know, the trouble is with that, Tony. I would, I, would, I would always endorse that. You know, they are your representatives. But as we saw from the, um, the oldie situation, there were so many people going, well, we'd rather have a supermarket, even though there was an oldie less than a mile away. Because... You know, people. There's a lot of people out for themselves. Really, they don't see this wider benefit, and it, you know, and that's all over our society. Unfortunately, you saw it very starkly last night. We're recording this on a Thursday when you know 322 conservative ministers voted to not feed children, poor 
uh, you know, hungry children during the during the school holidays. It's 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 endemic all over the place. It's me, me, me. Unfortunately, I don't agree with it in the slightest. But uh, you know, we we are where we are. So we won't yeah, get any arguments I, I, from me on that one, John. Yeah, no, you know, you've got, you've got to push these people. You've got to um, question their motives because they they are claiming to be uh, your representative. And if if that's not what you want them to be doing, then um, question needs to be asked. I mean, yeah, it doesn't absolutely. just affect people in, in those particular wards of that part of the town. This is something for the whole town. And I, I think you'd find that the majority of people in Luton would want this facility. By the way, that's that's my area of town. So that's where I live as well. So I'm not saying this just because I cover Luton. The, the training ground is not going to benefit me in the slightest because the only thing that... Uh, I already go to the the brace, which is where hopefully they'll stay. Although Gary Sweets has indicated that they could possibly move out if if the council um, continue with this lunacy. Um, I, you know, in in the old days for COVID, used to go down there for press conferences. But really, it makes no difference to me uh, where their 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 training base is. But I want it to be there. I want it to be in my area of town because of the benefits for the area because of the benefits from the kids. My kids are going to grow up in this area of town, probably. And uh, if they can have the aspiration of that world-class facility, less than, you know, less than five minutes walk away from their house, it's going to be wonderful for, for them and uh, all their friends. So it, it, it makes no logical sense why you, you, you block it, really, to be honest. It's going to be at no cost to them and it's going to benefit their residents. It's a win-win. Yeah, this yeah. is a story that we'll follow. Um, that we'll follow on this podcast because I'm sure there's a lot more, uh, a lot more of it to come. Just while we're on the community, um, the Luton Town Community Trust are doing some great work. There's a lot of people out there that are feeling lonely and um, things during this pandemic. If you are one of them, they've got a number of great activities that they're uh, that they're doing. Uh, you know, there's Zoom chats uh, on a Monday morning reflecting on Luton games to walks to bowling and, and all sorts of things. Um, you know, if, if you are feeling lonely and you could do with some social interaction, do go on to uh, the Luton Town website. There is a section on there for community trust and uh, you can see all the activities and things there with contact details to get involved. I know that... Um, James, I save our save our town. They're um, big on promoting that, as we are as, as the trust. They they're great initiatives. Yeah, anything that um, anything that supports uh, anybody that's being affected by this, you know, this current situation. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of fallout from uh, people having to isolate uh, from this this pandemic and. You know, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to happen happen again. I think Luton's sort of on the precipice of further restrictions, which nobody's going to be happy about. And um, you know, most a lot of the people I'm I'm, I'm glad to see just you know regular people did did help out where they can. You know, you know chat even if it's just chatting to your neighbour or something or helping them out, getting them some food or whatever. If you can if you can do any of that stuff, then um that they do so the, the, you know that that sort of work wherever it comes from and you know i know we're talking about the football aspect of it is is just so so needed um and it, it you know it's gonna it, it's gonna it's gonna be 
I don't know who the, be- the, the, the prophet of doom, the bearer of bad news, but it just feels like it's going to be worse this time around because we're going to be in the midst of winter and, um, you know, people aren't going to be able to leave their houses if, if they're not locked down. They're, they're, they it's going to get colder. You know, we've, we've already spoken about, how the, you know, young kids who are benefiting from free school meals and now we're not going to get them in the holidays. It's just this, you know, it's everything about the way this pandemic has been uh, handled by the powers that be is absolutely shocking. So the only thing that people can do is, um, you know, support the, their communities, really. Yep, we're proud that uh, Luton as a community is getting together and um, supporting everyone. As I say, if you are struggling with loneliness, do get in contact with the Community Trust or indeed anyone uh, in your community. And if you can volunteer some time, the Community Trust would be more than happy to hear from you. Chaps, that's about it for this episode. We will be back after or during the international break, sorry, for our next episode. We will try and line up an interview with someone at the club between now and then. But obviously there's an awful lot of coronavirus testing and fallout and everything like that going on at the moment. So it didn't feel appropriate to um, to pop down and ask for, you know, for someone for this episode. So I hope you'll forgive us um, for that. If you enjoy these podcasts and so many of you do get in touch with us to let us know that you do enjoy them, please um, give us a rating on whichever platform that you listen on. Uh, like it, share it, tell your friends. The more people that listen, uh, the the bigger it can be. And uh, obviously, the the more people will hear the players and the the coaches and interviews that we do get. So uh, we'd be eternally grateful for that. Um, James, Tony, thank you for your company. You've been fantastic as always. James, if you're going to to Yorkshire, uh, take care, stay safe uh, on your travels. And we'll reconvene next month. Cheers, guys. Cheers, everyone. Thanks for listening, everyone.